Hello, and welcome to Pastor George's Bible Study. So we are looking at um, Luke chapter 17 from verse 1 to 5. So we were saying that what God is trying to tell us is that anytime there's an offense, that offense is not first of all committed against a human being. It is committed against God. You remember, Joseph was referring to um, Potiphar's wife's advance, advances to him. And he said, how can I do this great wickedness against God? Our offense is not, first of all, against human beings. It's against God. Is God that every human being is answerable to. So when the Bible is talking about offense here in this scripture, the offense is against God. And the repentance is first of all to God and not to us. So when the Bible is saying, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. The, that doesn't mean that you should not forgive him. Because except you want to say you have not committed an offense yourself in your life. Except you want to say you are, you are not, you don't owe any man anything. The Bible says, owe no man anything except love. We don't have an option. If we have enjoyed forgiveness from the Lord Jesus, we automatically become debtors. We automatically become debtors of that love he has shown us. So we are already bound to forgive. Whether he repents or not, remember the repentance is not to you first, it's to the Lord. And so if I'm going to... um. Take note of that. It's so important because, you see, Jesus is reminding us of the fact that there is a strong possibility that when somebody offends you, if you are not careful, you now, you yourself will become the offense if you don't forgive. That's what I sense God wants to highlight for us. And, you know, it, it didn't stop there. He went ahead to, Jesus went ahead to project it forward. He said, if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you saying, I repent, what should you do, please? Forgive him. And also, George, yes. let me add, uh, that's why Jesus said at the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Mm. So, um. Supposing they know what they are doing. <laughs> Supposing they know what they are doing. Look at um, look at Paul when he was throwing stones, organizing the death of Stephen, and he mobilized men to kill Stephen. If you look at that scripture, you will think that he doesn't know what he's doing. 
he knows exactly what he's doing. No, I think he's blinded spiritually, George. That yes. is the reason that Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Because I, I'm sure spiritually, they mm -hmm. are just blinded. No, I, I'm not doubting that. I agree with you. I'm just saying that when it comes to committing offense, our forgiveness is not dependent on the, the knowledge of the perpetrator. That's what I'm trying to say. And the, look at this example Jesus is giving. Jesus was talking about somebody offending seven times in a day. And that person keeps coming, asking for forgiveness. Jesus is saying, you should forgive him. Why? Because if you don't forgive him, you yourself will become the offense. Now, it was based on that we enter verse 5. The apostles heard this. Look at what they asked. They said, Lord, increase our faith. This is so important. That the response to what Jesus was telling them was, Lord, increase our faith. Now, let's discuss. How does this prayer point, Lord, increase our faith, answer the issue of offense? Offense not coming through us. Answer us having a large heart to ensure that we don't become the offense ourselves when we have been offended against. It's touching my heart that the answer to the first the things Jesus talked about in verse 1 to verse 4 is, Oh Lord, increase our faith. Beloved brethren, we need an increase in faith if we are not going to become the offense. Lord, um, oh God, increase my faith so that I will not be the one through whom the offense will come. Lord, increase my faith so that I will not suddenly become the offense when people offend me. This is very important. Because in the Lord, if you don't cry to God for him to increase your faith, now, increasing, you know, I was thinking, ah, how does increasing faith have to do with all these things we've talked about? It has, because faith is not only in asking for things and getting things. Your faith also demands your obedience to God. Remember how Abraham was called righteous. What was it? The Bible said he obeyed God. And that was counted as faith. Obedience to God. Making it, you know, making, ensuring that your personal obedience to God is correct, is counted as faith. So when the Bible is saying, Lord, when this prayer point comes, Lord, increase my faith. What are you asking for, please? Lord, can you increase, help me increase my obedience to you? 
I am not going to be an offense, if I am not going to be an offense when somebody offends me, the, the right thing to do is to increase my obedience. This is so important. And that's why we don't have an option than to also pray the prayer of these apostles and say, Lord, increase my faith. Now, the next part of that verse now um, expounds a bit on this matter of increasing faith. What does it mean to increase my obedience? How do I increase my obedience in the things of God? How do I how am I particularly um, deliberate about my own personal obedience? We will see how Jesus increased his own obedience to God. We will see how he practically applied this increase in his own life. And we saw it in Jesus' life. You see, I thank God for the Lord Jesus because he's an example that we can follow. Jesus' life is not abstract to the point whereby he's just all easy and confusing that you have no understanding of what, how he lived and you cannot put yourself in his shoes and follow him. Jesus is not like that. We'll see. But look at what Jesus said. When they said, Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said in verse 6, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be put up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, we want to expound on that verse. Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, why did Jesus use a mustard seed to explain that prayer point? I think we know what a monster seed is. Can you permit me? Let me just Google a monster seed. Thank God for Google. At times, you can easily explain what he is doing. A monster seed. Bear with me. Um, let me share my screen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I pressed that button by mistake. Let me share my screen. So, mustard seed. This is it. I know you can see my screen now. Um. You can see how small the seeds are here. What's happening? Yes. Tiny, tiny seeds. Now, let me... There was an analogy I saw the other day. Yes, look at this picture. Very interesting. So tiny. And can you imagine, out of this small thing, is it possible to have this tree? Is it possible? As small as it is, 
is interesting. But you see, I thank God. Let me, let's, let's go back. I thank God, you see, because God in his wisdom, God is so, is so wonderful. God in his wisdom, the Lord Jesus in his wisdom, is using growth. He's using a mustard seed to explain growth. He said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and to obey you. What's Jesus saying? In the context of increase our faith. Remember, one of the things we talked about, about our own faith, is not just claiming things, it is obedience. Do you know when the disciples heard the conditions of what Jesus was telling them in the earlier verses, when he said, if somebody comes to you seven times, you don't have an option. Forgive him. The disciples said, ah, Jesus. We need, we need faith, though. We need you to help us increase our faith. And Jesus is saying, even if your level of obedience is small. You know, the first time you, you forgive that brother, isn't it? And he comes the second time, you say, well, let me forgive him. But it comes the third time. It comes the fourth time. It comes the fifth time. It comes the sixth time. It comes the seventh time. Excuse me. Where do you find faith? Let me use the phrase. Where do you find grace and obedience to obey so that you can forgive that person? You see what the Bible is trying to teach us? The Bible is trying to teach us that your obedience might be small, but it needs to increase. Our level of obedience by God's grace, God is saying, even if it's as a monster seed, it can grow because a seed, a monster seed grows to become a tree. The same thing applies to us. My brother, my sister, your personal obedience by God's grace should also grow. Your personal obedience to the Lord should grow. And as it grows, it becomes so effective. It becomes effective not only in your life, but in the lives of others. God uses the platform of your personal obedience that is growing to affect other souls. Now, let's look at the example of Jesus himself. Jesus, as you know, lived as a human being on the surface of this earth. He did not fall down from heaven. Jesus grew. Let's go to Luke chapter 2 very quickly. We saw that before the eyes of his parents, Jesus was a growing young boy and he became a man. Luke chapter 2. Look at it. Um, Maybe I will just read from verse 41, the very popular story you know, how Jesus was left behind in Jerusalem. Let me read it from verse 41, Luke chapter 2. The Bible says, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, 
they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. 47. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So they saw him. They were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them, verse 51. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his his mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and men. Now, take note. Remember, we're talking about, oh Lord, increase my faith. Increase my level of obedience. Your increase in God's obedience, in obedience to God, should come alongside your growth. Your personal, you see, growth in the things of God cannot happen outside your personal, deliberate, conscious obedience to God's word. They are not independent of each other. They walk side by side. Look at Jesus. The Bible mentioned the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. After the feast of the Passover, and It's interesting to me. The Bible said the boy Jesus. He wanted you to understand who Jesus was at that time. A young boy. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. And what was he doing there? He wasn't playing PlayStation. It wasn't, hey, I'm independent. A young boy doing his own thing. Where was he, please? He was in the temple. Not just organizing how to play pranks. He was in the temple. And the Bible said he was sitting down in the midst of teachers of the law. Look at what the Bible said. He was listening to them and asking them questions. Do you see the foundation of growth in the things of God? Excuse me, what stops Jesus from teaching them at age 12? (laughs) Their own hardness of heart. Yes. I mean, I think it's interesting that at 12, they were listening to this boy. At 30, they wouldn't listen to him. But the the first thing I note here is he was listening to them and then asking them questions. 
So when teachers sit down in, in the Jewish custom, Pharisees, and they are discussing scriptures, Jesus sat in their midst. Jesus was not faced by the fact that, ah, these are elders with long beard reading the Bible. He too was reading it with them. He too understood what they were saying. And he was also asking them questions. It's just like Bible study. If you permit me to say, they were doing Bible study in the temple. And Jesus was in their midst. Do you know you can hardly see that sight anywhere in our generation today? Hardly. It may happen. Young people, teenagers sitting down among people, elderly people studying the word of God. You hardly see it. It's not that it doesn't happen. It can happen, of course. But we saw this. It was a sight to behold in the life of Jesus. And it's glorious to see him do it. To challenge young people that what you are doing here, Saturday after Saturday, Jesus also did it. That is the pathway. You are laying down foundation for your own growth in the things of God. This should be an encouragement to you. Jesus was doing it. And if Jesus was doing it, excuse me, what was the result? It was growth. It was obedience in the things of God. It was growth to a point whereby the Bible said he increased in wisdom and in stature. I know it's Jesus and you are tempted to think, oh, he came from heaven with it. You can see the pathway of how he grew in the things of God. He also sat down. What stops you from watching Strictly come dancing at this time. What stops you from watching one of these reality shows? You have chosen to sit down to study the word of God. How will you not go the path Jesus also went on? If you do what Jesus did, how will you not get the results he got? You see, that's my challenge. That's my own encouragement. That if I also follow Jesus and did what he did, I will also get or experience what he experienced. The Bible said he sat down listening, asking them questions. This was Jesus. In humility, even as a young person, was listening to men talk to him. And the Bible said, and look at it in verse 47, and all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answer. So as they were talking, with, as he was asking them questions, they too will ask Jesus, and Jesus will answer. That is the product of sitting down to study the word of God. And obviously, it's, it's clear, obviously, from this scripture, that this is not the first time. Jesus has been doing this. He has been studying the word of God himself. For him to have understanding and answers. Meanwhile, remember what was happening. 
his parents were looking for him. And you know, it's always been a challenge every time we talk about this. If the Lord is looking for me, where will he find me? As a young person, if they were looking for you, where would they find you? And we saw it in the life of Jesus. For three days, he was in the temple doing marathon Bible study. Wonderful. So, so George, the um, back in there, the um, one of the uh, one of the biggest barriers to us being obedient, I think, and to that debt of love is to know how much we are loved. And it says, "He that has sinned much will love much." Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from what I can see, the you know one of the big struggles that as Christians we have is that we don't we don't recognise our sinful states, you know, what we've been saved from. Whilst we were still sinners, he died for us. And um, so in the words of John the Baptist, as I decrease, he increases, Mm. um, which is the faith as well, maybe, potentially, in that respect. But also the, um, the, you know, what we were asking on Friday night was, was how, how do we, what, what do we think when we look at our brothers and sisters? Do we look at them as people that are men and women of God, that they've got you know, the power and authority of God in them, that they've got, the, or do we just look at them as just as if they're any other human being, mm. fallen, basically? And, um, you know, and it seems like, you know, we were looking at the milk as well, Hebrews 6, you know, the milk of the word and things like that and stuff. So what would you sort of say is our, our potential or even our capability when we're born again. Once you're, once you're born again, is there is there anything that is not available to you? The, the Bible talks about um, every that those who believe in him, he gave them power or he gave them the potential to be called the sons of God. Anybody who has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of his life has entered the family of God. And there is an aim of entering the family of God. is so that you can be transformed into the image of Jesus, the firstborn son. Now, that transformation, that change of image to look like Jesus is all the process we are all on now. Now, that process, you know, you raised a very important point about the fact that when a man doesn't understand the gravity of what he has been delivered from, he will find it difficult to understand the transition or the family he has entered into. The, the issue is, like you said, we don't understand the weight of the weight of the salvation we have been given. And that's why we need a regular insight and a clear understanding. It has to be refreshing all the time. And if it doesn't happen, it's just like a machine 
I'm just using the analogy of a machine. Most times, you can be working on your computer, and what happens? It gets stuck. What do you do? You refresh. Do you know that refreshing is as if it gives it a new lease of life? As Christians, we need to be doing this all the time. Even when we have been encountered before, you always need a refreshing. That's why Christian life is not static, it's progressive. It's a continuous day-by-day, step-by-step walk with the Lord. You see, without that refreshing, without that constant rubbing of God on your heart, we can't, the Christian can make progress. Do you know, even things you think you understand, it's always good you go through it again. You see, Jesus, the Bible said, he came and appeared to the disciples again in John chapter 21. He has been appearing to them before. After the resurrection, he appeared to them. The Bible said at the time he was appearing to them by the Sea of Tiberias, he had appeared to them three times. This is Jesus coming again and again and again. That is why nobody graduates from it. You must always remain a student of Jesus all your life. Sorry, Nika. Right. So um, earlier we've been uh, with Kevin, what um, he raised as well as uh, issue about, you know, uh, being a born again. And earlier we've been talking like if we have faith, even as a small, as a mustard seed. And because in verse five, it says um, increase our faith. So that was the prayer. And what is this faith? And it says here in um, Amplified, this faith is the trust and confidence that is spring from our belief in God. Because even we are born again and uh, we're just being called as a baby Christian, uh, normally, we can still provoke, isn't it? We still get so angry with the, you know, petty things. But as we continue to just, even though we are still babies and we keep searching the scripture, we keep feeding our spirit, then that little faith will continue to grow. And that's why it says here, it will spring from the belief in God. Then that's the time that even... As we are growing spiritually, even someone will gonna provoke you, and then you know your patience will be there. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna react to this until mm. we will be able to obey what the word of God, uh, you know, we, is telling us. Mm. So that's my, you know. Yes, you see, you've raised a very important point. The matter of distrust and confidence that springs from our belief in God. That trust and confidence makes you do something. That trust and confidence is not flat. It is active. It propels you onto obedience. If, for instance, like we rightly said, the Bible, Jesus was telling the disciples, if somebody comes to you seven times, forgive him seven times in a day, and you have trust and confidence in what the Lord himself has said, Obedience, even if it's hard, even if it's very difficult, because of this trust and confidence that springs from our belief in God, 
we humbly trust God and get on to obeying because we want to ensure that our faith keeps growing. And you see, look at this. Supposing you have faith and confidence eh, to obey this brother seven times. And the next day, he doesn't only do it seven times. He does it 70 times. Do you know, because you have obeyed seven times, there is a springboard for you to stand and say, ah, Lord, I did seven times. I I have trust and confidence in your word that says, even if it comes 70 times seven, what should I do? I should keep obeying. And that's why I know that's a hypothetical example in a sense. But what I'm just saying is growth comes by obedience and more growth comes by more obedience. Do you know how it feels when you've been obeying God, obeying God, and then all of a sudden you misbehave? Something happens to your heart. Unfortunately, People don't recover from that. Some people don't, so they stay there. But God wants us to get up and keep going so that we don't break or we don't finish or should I say we don't end what God is trying to build in our lives. Yes, Kevin. I just want to share that reading the scripture tonight, whenever I've read that repent in the past mm. I've always really thought someone's apologized to me yeah that's why I should I'm going to forgive them because they've apologized to me yes. whereas of course repent means they've apologized to God and God. they're committed to do that and of course in the context of brethren you know mm. brothers in the Lord then that's what we should be looking for them to do mm. not you know but again being worldly um you know it's we want them to to apologize to us yes wrong. And, and who cares about god you know in you know to some degree that's what it is uh, that you know so thank you for that just to to recognize that that repentance is a godly repentance not a not a kevin repentance to, <laughs> to go. you know you, you honestly what you said is so important because you see somehow we are happy when they apologize to us supposing for whatever reason they did not apologize to you but they actually repented before God. Which one would you choose? Somehow, they were not able to come and tell you, I'm sorry. But actually, before God, they repented. You still hold a grudge. When before their maker, they've cleared their account. Do you see the gravity of it? That's why we don't have an option. That's why at the end of the day, you know, what Jesus was doing was that he was growing. And as he was obeying, he kept growing. That's why in that Luke chapter 2, look at the sequence of events. They went to Jesus. They brought him home. Look at verse 52. The Bible said, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. Growth increased. In favor with who, please? God. 
and men. So Jesus increased his favor with God first before men. Jesus grew with God first. His favor with God increased first before men. The Bible did not say it increased in favor with men and God. It was God first. You see, I pray that God will give us understanding that our our first allegiance is with God. Our first allegiance is with God. Our account, we need to settle it with God first. You see, when that account is being settled with God regularly, it is God that will help you. And you will find yourself settling your account with men easily. And at times, men might not refuse to settle their accounts. Don't worry. Let your account be settled with God. That is what matters. Like we said, repentance is first of all with God, isn't it? The same way our favor, our growth is first of all with God. Do you know men are so handicapped? Men will look at you and say, ah, um, Mr. George, are you not, are you not um, 40-something years old? Your colleagues have built four houses. You are still paying mortgage somewhere. Your colleagues have made progress. Their bank accounts is very healthy. Your own bank account is not healthy. Men can only see beyond, cannot see beyond a certain stage. The evaluation of life for men is totally different from how God evaluates life. That's why your growth has to be with God. You can't grow with men first. Growing with men only ends on this earth. Look at what Paul said. Paul said he does not want to know anything about you except Christ and him crucified in you. When my growth is with God first, everything I look at in life, my perspective towards life, is always through that 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 um, mirror, and that's why when the disciples asked Jesus, "Increase my faith," that increase in faith was so that they can obey God and obey what Jesus was saying more and more. So, beloved brethren, it's so important that we. We, we are careful about this. Thank you very much, Kevin. You've raised this issue. You know, the story of David and Nathan, the prophet. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord when David misbehaved. You know, I thought he would have said, I have sinned against... Uriah the Hittite. I 
thought David would say, I have sinned against Bathsheba. No, I have sinned against the Lord. He now said, and Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. So our allegiance is first of all to God. What David did was terrible, of course. Look at how he treated a faithful, loyal soldier. But beloved brethren, his sin was first of all against God. Yes, Uriah died. And I thank God there is still a great testimony that can come out from the life of Uriah the Hittite. Our beloved brethren, our growth comes in line next to our obedience. And we cannot afford to ignore our obedience if we want to grow. Thank God another year is coming to an end. And like we know, people evaluate people by physical means. But actually, the correct evaluation for your life and my life is how are you growing in the things of God? That's the first evaluation. Human beings will always use physical things. They say, oh, now this is 2022. Mm. So, what has, have you made progress in your career? Have you made progress in your business? Have you made progress in your family? How many grandchildren do you have? All those things. Human beings use human uh, um, worldly things to assess progress. But actually, the progress we should pay attention to is that the years have passed. The summer is past. The winter, winter is passing. Where is my relationship with the Lord Jesus? How am I growing in the things of God? Is my, am I attentive to my personal, deliberate, conscious obedience to the word of God to my life? Yes, Kevin. Okay, I was wondering what you, what should our relationship to offense be? In, you know, it says offenses will come, different way of translating the first scripture we looked at there. Yes. Heaven's one, you know, they come, you know, this, this, this wall world, this fallen world is full of offense. Yes. That's what it is. It's, it's full of offense or injustice, as we might want to call it, or unfairness or, or all these sorts of things. But as a Christian, what um, should our relationship be to the, should we say, the right to justice? Okay. You know, this scripture, it gives us a, a, one of the responses. You know, when Jesus says, for woe unto him through whom it comes, the first thing is, I must take it unto myself. I shouldn't be the one that will obey, sorry, that will fulfill negative scripture. That's the first thing. That's why Jesus warned. He said, take it unto yourself. He didn't say take it unto the other person. He said, take it unto yourself so that you will not be the offender. Now, the other thing, the, that, the, the next thing was the issue with forgiving somebody who has offended you. That is the other side of uh, my response to offense. That even when offense comes to me, I must be large-hearted enough to forgive those who are involved in offending me. And not only that, you see, the Bible talks about repentance. He said, if your brother 
repents. How do I contribute to the repentance of a brother? How do I become an instrument of righteousness to bring about repentance for somebody else so that that person will get true forgiveness from the Lord? How? It's also important. That is actually a righteous and a divine response to offense. So the first thing is, I must look, I must be faithful to the word of God so that I do not put myself as the offender. And even if I'm the offender, what should I do, please? I must go to him who I am offending, who I've been offending. And the first person I've been offending is the Lord. He's the one that can restore me. He's the one that can help me. And then the next response is even when there is offense, what should be the state of my heart towards offense? You know, some people are so bitter because of the injustice in the world. Forgiveness is not in their dictionary. Why? Because there is so much injustice. And that's what Jesus is warning us against. I suddenly can become an offense when I don't forgive. When I become bitter, I become an offense before God. That's the issue. And a lot of us Christians, we can fall into that trap. Yes, we see ungodliness around us. We see terrible things. And the enemy can spoke those things and make it a stronghold for bitterness in your heart and in my heart. We must be large-hearted, honestly. We need it. Because unfortunately, this offense, we are in the last days, it's not going to decrease. We are going to see more ungodliness. What should happen to the heart of the Christian? I must be careful that my love for God and my love to see God move in the life of people, I must be careful that that love must not work school. It's a quiet ploy of the enemy that your soul will be vexed all the time, all the time, all the time, that you cannot pray. Your soul will be so affected that you lose compassion. And that is a dangerous place to be. That's why we need to take heed unto ourselves, beloved brethren. We don't have an option. You see, when the Bible says in the last days, the love of many will wax cold. The waxing cold of the love is because of ungodliness. And it happens in two ways. People stop loving God and loving righteousness. And those who are supposed to love righteousness, compassion evaporates from the heart. That they don't carry a care and compassion for the people. So that's that's the way I see it. And, you know, one must be careful. Even when you are not the one offending, suddenly you can now become the offense because of lack of compassion. Yeah, just just to, the, the way I look at it uh, as well, just to add to what you're saying, um, is 
you know, I think about God, you know, how must God feel every single day when, <laughs> when people do all sorts, you know, kick against his love, kick against his love of salvation, destroy each other, lie, cheat, and he's, he can see everything and hear everything. I mean, we only hear a little and see a little of what people do or say against us. So we're kind of shielded from, from a lot of it. But God sees even the thoughts in the hearts of people. You know, um, if he wasn't God, if he was a man, he would be completely destroyed with bitterness and anger. He would just wipe everyone out. But God is not like that. He's gracious. He's, his compassion it overflows, you know, to the world around him, to, uh, to the world and to, to what people do. You know, he does not like what they do and he wants us to repent but we must you know we must come to repent but in the meantime his heart is already forgiven us you know like you said you asked Kevin Mm. uh, do we forgive people even when they have when they have not repented and they haven't said sorry Mm. it's it's we we should have that we're already uh forgiven those people forgiven them before they ask, that heart does not hold them. Our heart does not hold them to ransom. So that when they come and say, I'm sorry, it becomes really easy to say, yeah, you're forgiven. Because the thing is, if you know, offense and forgiveness, and re- offense and repentance um, brings about a restoration of relationship, you know, the whole point of coming to repent is that so I, so I can have a relationship with you. So if someone offends me, I might have forgiven them in my heart. If they don't come and repent, we probably wouldn't have a relationship, even though I desire to have that relationship. So as soon as they come and say, I'm sorry, we have a relationship. Many times, you know, God forgives us. His heart, his attitude towards us is that of forgiveness completely. And that's, our, but then we don't have a relationship with him if we don't come and repent and say, oh Lord, please forgive me. And it's like, yeah, I forgave you long ago, just come in, you know. So um, so it's our, our heart attitude. And like you said, I mean, we, what's the alternative? <laughs> the alternative to forgiving is it, it's carrying bitterness about, and then you become the offensive. You go to hell, really. If you, if you, if you don't forgive, you lose the forgiveness of the Father as well. That relationship that we can have with him is spoiled. It's become bitter. So, um, yeah, my, my own heart attitude is, well, what does God say about this? And I want to be free in my heart enough to be able to pray and to praise him and to lift my hands up in church, you know, and say, God, or at home or wherever, and say, God, I thank you that I belong to you. If we're angry and bitter, we cannot do that. We don't have a relationship. You know, a relationship with God will not flow properly. Even though God is sitting there and waiting for us to come, but because we've tied someone in our hearts, we cannot come, you know, freely to him. So, um, yeah, just have the heart of Christ towards the world around. Yes, Kim. I mean, I think, I think it's interesting that you've got this scripture well, this week. You know, in the press we saw, you know, it talks about little children here. And for many people in this day and age, when you look back and Moloch and all the other things that they were doing to children, sacrifices and what have you, you, you do wonder. But even still in this day and age, we 
when we see crimes against children uh, in this way, um, people rightly get very upset um, and probably don't forgive or look to forgiveness or consider forgiveness. But this whole passage in amongst all that is showing that that God can forgive anybody, anything, if they repent, if they come to him. And I think that is probably, well, one of the many very important messages that we remember by reading this passage, that even the most horrendous of sins, as far as we're concerned, you know, which is funny, and because, you know, for God, we've just said that, that every sin is horrendous for him. Yeah, sort of thing in that sense, because it's against God. Um, and um, yeah, so I uh, and I had a very good friend when I first became a Christian. He led me to the Lord, actually, you know, sins against children as a father are the things that he he almost said he couldn't forgive or wouldn't forgive or whatever way you want to say it. And um, and, uh, you know, there isn't there isn't anything that we shouldn't be able to forgive. We should be able to forgive everything. So we should. And um, and again, when I first became a Christian, what, six, you know, six and a half years ago now, I heard a number of Christians saying about things that they couldn't forgive. And I was completely confused. I thought, well, that's what we have to do, isn't it, as Christians? Um, and I understand it's difficult and certain things are far more difficult than others. But that's where we support one another. And, uh, and, and of course, some of the some of the worst offences, and I, I don't mean that in in the reality of it in that sense, but some of the hardest things for Christians to forgive is is how they felt they've been treated in church, by church, um, and how how their relatives have been, how their Christian friends have been treated by church, in that sort of sense. You know, maybe not they're not they may not be close to God, but the way that they see, and uh, you know, and um, so it's how, I mean, probably one of our biggest testimonies as Christians that Christ lives is our ability to forgive. That is probably our be- almost our best witness. Our best witness. Um, it's supernatural. I think it's supernatural. You have to be a, a really a transformed person because it goes against the natural grain. Mm. In us, naturally, we want to have uh, justice in in the way we understand justice as the world that you read in the paper all the time, there is so much about, about this kind of battle going on. And we are in a different battle. And today, you, what you're talking about, um, you know, uh, uh, what we're, we, we are already in the kingdom of God. We already have faith, you know. We are safe, redeemed people. And we have our position, our status, our authority, our power, all that is uh, in the heavenly places of us available. Mm. You know, we are not poor, misery, miserable people. We are not orphans mm. anymore, right? We have a heavenly father. Um, and what I'm saying is that um, here, this, this mustard seeds, it could, I mean, Josh, I'm reading a little bit differently from you. Um, that, that mustard seed here, could be a sim- symbol in, in, in the other parable somewhere um, yeah. about now the kingdom of heaven is like, yeah, what's it? And then now the kingdom of heaven is like the leaven or something like that. Yeah. So it's the kingdom of heaven is, is there in us, and the kingdom of heaven by nature grows. Cool. 
it by by the very nature that God has called it into being, it will grow, and that is the way it is. Yes. And we are in an interesting pe- way. We are very redeemed people, and he's talking about mountains, and this is another symbol. Mountains are obstructions, obstacles, you know, that's that's in our way, and that um, unless we have this this kingdom faith in us, I was interested in that sense. If you read the the story about the disciples came to Jesus and he says, why can't we cast out the mm. demons? And then Jesus said something to them. Yeah? Yes. You're of little faith. Yeah. Or something like that. Mm. And and here he's asking them, have that little faith of a master seed. And you're like, okay, did we have faith enough to believe? Did we have faith to kind of obey your commands to go and do what you tell us to do? You know, cast out demons. Mm. Wasn't that faith in action? We could argue that but having said that here is about the kingdom faith um that's there i don't know how how we apply it in ourselves but uh, what i'm saying is there is so much more something supernatural shift the forgiveness issues is dealt and done with when christ died on the cross for all times Mm. we are the one that have an issue (laughs) about releasing it and, and experiencing embracing it and doing the way christ would do it we cannot, uh, we, we have to do that quantum leap and that is a faith thing in us. Mm. Um, to tie up what, where I'm going with all these things is how do our faith grow? Yes, the disciple asked, increase our faith, but Jesus did not answer that request <laughs> in, in directly. He told some other things. He told them this, this parable. So he was speaking in a very hidden way. Yes. So there are many things there, but I was just to fast forward a little bit because actually maybe that is not the prayer that Jesus wants us to pray, increase mm. our faith. Mm. We already have faith. So yeah. how do faith grow? And so he tells other parables anyway. Um, and I've just fast forward a bit to Peter talking about faith, okay? Yes. <laughs> First Peter is talking about um um in chapter 1, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials and the things that we have talked about. Life is full of trials. That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And there's something about how faith grows. It goes through fiery trials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and that it's God's way of refining us. None of us are praying, come on, give me more of that kind of fire trial. But it is there in our lives. This is life we go through, isn't it? Um, even now, as we go through this COVID, COVID times, you know, and the restrictions and all the governor, governing authorities and the voices that we hear around, these are more trials and tribulations that's coming in the world that we're living in. Um, and, and we are just asking uh, that we be faithful. And, and the, the important thing here is that we have co- Peter commended on the fact that you have not seen 
you have not seen and yet you believe. Yeah. Mm. And this is where we are. We have never seen Jesus, but we believe. This is supernatural. This is the work of the Spirit in us has come into us. We all kind of faith and we keep talking about it. You know, if we push and we encourage one another here, and it's it's just just this is where it's a mustard seed in us, isn't it? By mm. by nature, it's God's nature growing in us. Uh, you know, yeah. you that's about, my little preach. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. You know, you talked about the issue of how does the how does faith grow, and you know, in a in a not simplistic sense, but in a straightforward sense, in what Jesus was talking about, about the issue of the sower, the seed, and the soil, you notice that there was nothing wrong with the seed. Mm. There was also nothing wrong with the sower because the sower went for to sow. The issue we had was the soil. And that's where my own heart comes in. That my growth in faith, in whatever dimension you look at it, has to do with the soil. The soil has to be the right soil that will allow the seed to grow. By nature, that seed, once it falls onto good soil, it grows. And do you know, there's nothing else the sower did. The sower just went and sowed the seed. And we saw the repercussion. Oh, sorry, we saw the effect. Growth came after. And what God is demanding of our lives all the time is to always check on the soil. Check that the soil is not loaded with rocks underneath that nobody can see. Check that the soil doesn't have thorns. The case of this life, what it does is that even when the word of God comes, it stops fruit from coming out because of the cares of, the, of this life. And those cares, they are not seen. It is genuine cares. But the Bible is saying, take it out so that the seed can grow. You know, even when we talk about rock, rock most times are some of the things we don't see. It's underneath the soil. It's buried under the soil. The soil can be looking lush and plush under, on top. But underneath there are some things God needs for me and you to remove. And, you know, you talked about the issue of trials. It's so important. There's a way God engineers trials to remove some of these rocks. Yes. <laughs> you know, we keep saying it. You know, you, you are looking for patience. Yes. You want the fruit of patience to come from the seed of the word of God. And God gives you a very difficult colleague. And you yes. it. But, what is it? but it's one of God's ways of removing those rocks. God wants to teach you patience. He doesn't just teach it in the Bible. He uses life example, real life example. You have a difficult colleague, difficult boss, you know, at work and everybody is treating that person in the light of how they normally would treat people like that. But God is saying, no, you can't do that. And that's because there's a different seed growing in you. Mm-hmm. You know, so the prayer now is for God to help us that, Lord, the soil of my heart, please, can you help me in mercy? Deal with it. Those stones, please remove it. Those um, weeds that encroach on the growth of the word of God on my life, Lord, in your mercy, remove it. And I think it's crucial to keep a, an eye on those things because Jesus will keep coming again. You know, it doesn't stop. It keeps coming, it keeps coming, and it keeps coming to try and deal with those issues in our lives. 
And the prayer is that, Lord, help me that I do not ignore your instructions. When you come again, please let me not just push it aside and say, well, God, you have come again. No. It's God's process. And growth doesn't happen like magic. It's a progressive thing. You know, if we ask the mothers here, you remember when you held your children, they were your babies, small. You know, when they were first born. Now you can't call them like that. They've grown. It brought, that happened over time. Mm. And that's why me and you, God keeps working on our lives to ensure that we keep growing. And it happens over time. Even God knows that he needs patience with you. If God has been patient with me all these years, should I not be patient with others? That's the challenge. You know, and I trust the Lord will, will help us. Sorry, our time is, is gone. And I think it's just important to pray on these issues so that the Lord will help us. Come and join Pastor George's Bible Study at 8 p.m. 